Um, all right, we're recording now. Good. So we're going to do a couple of these songs. Some of them are probably well-known. Some of them probably not so well-known. So I'm excited to dive into some of these and see what we get out of them. Now, for a generic background of this first song, the passage Paul just read, this is really all about prophets. Now, prophets were the primary way God spoke to the people through the majority of the Old Testament. There was very rarely a time when there was not a prophet throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Sometimes multiple prophets overlapping. But these were the primary mechanism God used to talk to the people. A prophet just simply literally means the mouthpiece of God, one who speaks for God. Now, perhaps maybe one of the most famous prophets is Elijah. Elijah kind of had a similar message to most prophets, the idea of calling people, turn away from their sins, turn toward God. Elijah did most of his prophecy work in the northern kingdom. So you had, you had the United Kingdom of Israel, they kind of separate, you have the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, generally not great. So Elijah is doing his, prof, his prophetic work up in the north. And he's, his homework is he really stands against evil. He is really a stalwart of God's authority, really standing up to corruption at the royal level. And it's dangerous work, but that's, he's, that's why he's the most well-known. He has, oh, I want to say like five, six chapters wholly devoted to his story. Um, some really good stuff in there. So we get this Elijah kind of going down, going down, until we get to Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. And his message is fairly similar, but more of an emphasis on the coming Messiah. Malachi is the one who really looks forward to someone is going to come that is going to finally change the hearts of the people. He talks about it a lot. We have you know, one particular passage here where he talks about it. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of, of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. We see you know, a couple weeks ago we read a passage where Herod confuses Jesus for John the Baptist, and then other people confuse Jesus for Elijah. It, some of this is why you get this going on, is the idea that Jesus is kind of the, the re, rededication of Elijah from a high concept level, not actually like the reincarnation of Elijah at all, but that, that idea of Elijah as the pinnacle prophet who is calling people to turn away from evil back to God, and that's what Jesus is doing. So that's why you get those two compared a lot. After Malachi, we get 400 years of nothing. We have Malachi saying, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is going to unite us, the Messiah is going to turn the hearts of the people, and then we get nothing. 400 years of silence. No prophets, no new writings, no new messages from God. Now, it can be hard sometimes thinking about like context-wise how long things are. If you were to bump that to us, that's longer than the U.S. has been around. It would basically be like the Mayflower. That's a, 400 years is about when the Mayflower landed here. So it would be like if the Mayflower got sent off and just now came back and was like, hey, Look what was over here. You would assume something went wrong. You would assume they're not coming back. 400 years. So the next time God talks to the people 
is in Luke 1, through Gabriel. Gabriel comes in, and then Gabriel does a lot of talking. Gabriel's busy in this chapter. But one of the people he talks with is this guy, Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet, or a prophet. He's a priest. He's a priest in the temple. Gabriel comes to Zechariah and tells him, you and your wife Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. It's going to be John. It's going to you know, be the herald of Jesus, herald of the Messiah. So this kind of prophecy that we're getting from the angel here is picking up right where Malachi left off. If you kind of pull those 400 years out, put them next to each other, you're like, oh, this is very nice, simple, great flow, good, good writing, good job. He's got 400 years in the middle. Problem is, Zechariah doesn't really believe the angel. Both he and his wife are older, so they're like, they're, we're, we're not having kids. You, I don't know what you're talking about. Because of this, he loses his voice. Whether it is a punishment for not believing or a prophetic sign act to highlight silence, to highlight God's working, massive debates going on about that. Whatever it is, he loses his voice. Now just think about what these in next months would have been like. Just imagine that night. Goes home to Elizabeth. One, can't talk. That's going on. And then two, he has to relate to her, hey, you're pregnant. What's her response going to be? No, nope, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I feel like I would know before you. And then as things unfolded, how would things go? I imagine he is pouring over scripture, because he's a priest, pouring over scripture to be like, what, what is happening right now? 400 years of nothing, and then an angel shows up, tells me my wife is going to have the herald of Jesus, the herald of the Messiah, and made me mute. What is going on? It's during this time that his sister-in-law comes to visit and stays with them for a number of months, because unbeknownst to him when she shows up, she has had a visit from the same person, from Gabriel, telling her, oh, you are having the Messiah. So this is a chaotic couple months. There's a lot going on right here. But finally, John is born. Mary has gone home. John is born. They have a discussion of like, what are we going to name him? What would you name him after his father? Finally, Zachariah speaks and says, no, his name's going to be John. And then the first thing he does after he can speak is sing this song, the song that we just read earlier. And what I like about this first part of it here is this isn't about John. He sings this great song of praise at the birth of his son. The big chunk of it, the first part of it, not about John. It's about Jesus. This is the first human prophecy in 400 years. It's about the coming Messiah, which has got to be incredibly trippy for him because it's, it's his nephew. He's talking about my nephew about to be born is the Son of God. It's all about God's care, God's salvation for the people. Then, he moves on to talking about his son. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare the way. You will tell the people 
how to be saved through the forgiveness of sins. Because, our, because of our God's deep compassion, the dawn of heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide them on the path of peace. Now he speaks to John. Now he talks to his son. We don't know the blocking of the situation. Is he holding John? Is John, because this is John's naming ceremony. Is he with priests? Is he with Elizabeth? We don't know. But he's talking directly to him. You, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. Preparing the way. That's a big thing to lay on a newborn child. You are going to be the herald of God. In a lot of ways, you're going to be the last prophet. That's a lot. And I love the way salvation is referenced, talked about here. You have mighty Savior, deliverance, rescued from their enemies, saved through forgiveness, a light to those sitting in darkness. You have these concepts that are very rabbinic in their nature. You know, you see them a lot in the Old Testament prophets. Dawning of a new day, the idea of forgiveness of debts, deliverance from danger. He is pouring all of that into this outburst of emotion at the birth of his son, at the coming birth of the Messiah. Now, this is great, happy, right? The only question that I'm sure we have here, and I'm sure the he was struggling with during this whole time, and other people there too. Why did God wait so long? Like, this song is nothing but praise, but it had to be in his head. During those nine months of, I'm sure, pouring over Scripture, figuring what's going on, that had to come up. Okay, if, if this is happening, if, if, if this is really real, if this is going to be, why now? Why wait 400 years? Well, let's do a little thought experiment. Let's look at a couple different things. The early church was successful really primarily for a couple reasons. One of them was the early church writings. Our New Testament, the majority of it is composed of letters written in the church's infancy, the first generation of the church, from key members writing letters to each other. In the mid-300s BCE, so we're talking now, and during that 400-year gap, 100 years into it, still 300 years to go, a guy named Alexander the Great comes in, kind of conquers everything in the area. His empire blows up massively really quick. It implodes really quick, but he takes over an area really fast. One of the main things Alexander did that happened as a result of this is, is a thing called Hellenization which is basically the Greek-ifying of everything. Everything Alexander touched, he made Greek, even down to the language. Under Alexander, the entire ancient Near East spoke Greek. Greek became the lingua franca for the entire region, something that had never happened before. You had Aramaic would be the lingua franca for some areas, 
but then you'd have Sumerian over here, Greek up here. Under Alexander, it's Greek for everyone, and it's not just elites. More and more common people start knowing how to read Greek, start knowing how to read just in general. This leads to the Hebrew Bible, what we call our Old Testament, being translated into Greek, a document called the Septuagint. Thus, non-Jews, Gentiles, could read it. We're exposed to the ideas of Old Testament Israelite faith. So they were primed for this idea of a coming Messiah, of Jesus. Now, they more than likely didn't believe in this, but it was something that was known. They were, their hearts were a little bit more ready for it than if it had just dropped out of nowhere. So now, when all these writings start swirling around, the early church writings, everyone can read them. It moves away from just a single person coming in, saying a decree, and then leaving. You have writings. You have things to refer back to. Yes, there are people that are standing up teaching, but everyone can read the words that are coming in. It's not a, I just have to take this person's word for it. There is something of that, obviously, but everyone can read these letters that are coming in. Communication across the growing church is possible. The second thing that aided the church was how amazingly fast it was able to spread. From Egypt, all through the Levant, up into Turkey, into Greece, and beyond. The early church spread geographically insanely fast and locally. This allowed people to form smaller personal communities around their faith. Something that was extremely important. There was no longer a, I have to travel days to get to the temple because that's where the, kind of the center of faith is. The center of faith is here in my town. I have support right around me. There's not, you know, one church here, one way down the road. There's churches dotting the entire empire and dotting it in amazingly quick succession. Now, perhaps one of Rome's lasting legacy was their infrastructure. You've all heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. And that was really true. The Roman Empire had one of the best road networks in the ancient world. You could argue maybe only rivaled by Assyria, but Rome was even bigger because it had a bigger empire. It allowed travel across the empire unlike never before, at amazing speeds. So without this road network, the early church would not have expanded as quickly as it did. These communities would have taken much longer to build. Paul does not plant nearly as many churches as he does. Timothy is not getting to as many places as he does without this road network. So you can argue that without these two things, Greek being the lingua franca and this amazing road network, the early church struggles. And honestly, more than likely, doesn't happen because it is 
the power of the early church, its tight communities, the strength it has in numbers, in each other, that allows it to survive a lot of the persecution that's coming its way. You don't have that strong network. The early church doesn't make it. So we have a couple ways to look at this 400 years of silence. God's just taking a nap. You know, if you're a being that lives forever, 400 years, that is your afternoon nap. That's nothing. It's God not doing anything, just chilling. Or was God working behind the scenes to make sure the setting was perfectly set? Not only for Jesus, for the Messiah, but for the early church to give the church the opportunity to succeed. God works through the silence so often. And that can be hard for us. We want updates. We want to know what's going on. I, as you know, I play a lot of board games, and a lot of them I get through a company called Kickstarter. You know, it's an online backing company. You send money away, they say, hey, we're going to make this game, you send money away, and then two years later, hopefully, you get the game. Almost every game manufacturer will send out periodic updates. Most of them, you know, once a month at the minimum. Some of them are like every week because they know people want to hear what's going on, what's happening. There's one, what is going on here? Get out of here. There was one that I, I, I follow, love the game. It's actually the guy is actually from St. Louis who designed it. It's a really cool game. But he would send out an email every single week, every Friday. Half the time it was just him telling stories about his life because there was no news to report. It's, yeah, stuff, stuff's off being made. I, I got nothing for you, but I know y if I don't send these updates out, you'll think I took your money and ran. So just updates, updates. Because we don't like not knowing what's happening. We want to be in the loop. That's not really how God works most of the time. God doesn't keep us informed step by step of what the plan is. That would be awesome. That's not how it works. So what are the areas in your life that God might be working in the silence right now? Have you been praying for a loved one to find Jesus, to find faith? and nothing seems to be happening. That can be frustrating. Is God working in the silence there? How amazing would it be if we got, you know, an audible voice from God being like, all right, so this person, they had this conversation today, and I, it bumped them a little closer. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that conversation didn't happen. Finances can be an area. Like, ah, I don't know, God, should, should I donate this? Should, should I buy this? If, whereas if God laid every financial plan out before you, you it would be so much easier to make decisions, right? You, you know exactly what's coming. You could do it. That's not how it works either. Health issues. You praying for yourself, for a loved one, family, friend who is sick. You want them to get better not hearing anything. How could God be working to prepare something, someone 
in your life right now in this silence? We really don't like silence. But silence doesn't mean God isn't working. Silence doesn't mean God's not there. So when you get frustrated by God's silence, by God not walking you step by step through every step of the plan, just remember, God was silent and seemingly gone for 400 years. But God was actually hard at work, preparing the way, having empires come in, rise, fall, be taken over, a litany of things happening just so Jesus could be born at the right time, at the right moment to make the church spread, to make the church be what it is today. God works when we can't see it. So remember this. When you're frustrated, sing the song of Zechariah. When you don't feel close to God, when you don't feel like you know what's going on, remember Zechariah. Remember Zechariah's song. Make that your song this Christmas season. Join me as we pray.